Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. A dead woman sleeps in the well near my hometown. We woke her up. Written by a certain emergency, 122. There's an old well located in the middle of the woods that border Penville. It's made up of crumbling gray stone, partially hidden by moss. A wide ring in the ground that threatens to swallow the unwary. According to local legend, the well is haunted. Penville was founded in the late 1800s by the Finbees, an English family that came to America to build a prosperous community. The family daughter pretended to be religious, but secretly worshipped the devil. One night, she made a pact with a demon. In exchange for eternal beauty and youth, she agreed to murder nine children. Six kids in this town were butchered like hogs, and the remains scattered throughout the woods. Before she could complete the ninth murder, the townspeople discovered that she was the one responsible for their children's deaths. They dragged her out of her home, tore out her eyes, and threw her into the well to die. She treaded the water for nearly half an hour, and before dying of blood loss, she promised them that she would finish her bargain eventually. We found the well entirely by accident. It was a cloudless summer day, one we should have spent lounging by the public swimming pool and eating popsicles. Instead, Quentin and I followed James deeper into the woods. The heat pressed down on me, and the toolbox James had ordered me to carry seemed to weigh a thousand pounds. I could hear Quentin panting harshly behind us as he struggled to keep up with Jane's pace. He carried the stack of wooden planks that would form the base of our treehouse. Even though I suspected that we were lost, I knew better than to say anything. Before James transferred to our school, Quentin and I had been bullied relentlessly by a group of upperclassmen with... Quentin getting the brunt of it. And although I stood up for Quentin whenever possible, I hadn't been able to stop them from mocking his weight or his tendency to babble in stressful situations. James had. He was nearly as short as me, but the handful of times that group of upperclassmen had tried to bully James, their insults bounced off of him as though he wore an invisible suit of armor. Quentin had promptly latched on to James. Since Quentin was my best friend, 
I had no choice but to follow him, even though his hero worship of James bothered me. Frankly, I wasn't even sure whether I liked James. The price of his friendship was that he always bossed us around. More to the point, it increasingly felt like James went out of his way to make me a third wheel, and I couldn't help worrying that Quentin would replace me with him. It was why I'd been so determined to join them today. I didn't want to give James another excuse to cut me out. Wooden planks clattered to the floor. I turned around to see Quentin had stopped in his tracks, the corners of his mouth drawn down in dismay. Sweat plastered his curly dark brown hair around his face. James didn't notice. It's this way, he said confidently. We're almost there. What's wrong? Tentative hope crept over me. I didn't want to be the first one to ask for a break, but if Quentin needed one, then I had the perfect excuse to set down the hateful toolbox. He pointed wordlessly at something off to the side. I followed his gaze to see a pile of gray stones half hidden by the surrounding foliage. I blinked and realized that it was a stone well rising roughly five feet off the ground. My stomach swooped unpleasantly, as though I'd missed a step while walking down the stairs. James finally realized that we'd stopped walking behind him. Frowning, he asked, What's the big deal, guys? It's the well. Quentin gave the words an upward inflection, as though asking a question rather than stating a fact. You, you know, the, the one from the story about the woman who killed all those kids. We must be standing in the old town square. I can't believe no one else has found it before us. He trailed off. James brightened. Let's go check it out. Quentin and I exchanged a resigned glance behind his back. James enjoyed breaking the rules. At school, he was always getting detention for skipping classes or smoking on campus. In retrospect, we should have known that the prospect of investigating an abandoned and supposedly haunted well would be irresistible to him. Help me pull this off, he ordered, running his hands over the well and tugging on its wooden cover. Quentin obediently trudged over. I thought about protesting, but the sheer force of James' personality made it hard to stand up to him. He would overwhelm me with rapid-fire sentences and rhetorical questions, leaving you bobbing helplessly in his wake. And if you annoyed him enough, he became witheringly sarcastic, even cruel. The more I told him not to do it, the more he'd want to. Anyway... The story about the well is just a story, I thought, trying to push away the sense of foreboding. Whoever made it up in the first place had nothing better to do with their time. The wooden cover came away easily in our hands, and an unpleasant smell drifted out of the well. 
curious despite myself. I leaned forward to peer down into it, my stomach churning with a combination of excitement and anxiety. I half expected to see a heap of moldering bones at the bottom, but only murky water met my gaze. Sunlight clearly illuminated the well, and I guessed the depth to be roughly 20 feet or so, and thankfully nothing moved in the water. It doesn't all, began James, but I never got to hear the rest of what he said. The part of the well I'd been leaning against crumbled away under my weight, sending me tumbling down the well. The well was much deeper than I'd estimated, deep enough that I couldn't touch the bottom, and the water was freezing. I clung to the stones protruding from the well's walls as I treaded water, my teeth clattering from the cold and my head aching, fit to burst. Alex, can you hear me? Are you okay? Quentin's voice bounced around the well, intensifying the bells clamoring in my head, and I winced. Without waiting for my response, he yelled, Don't move! I'll be there soon! Minutes passed. My fingers went stiff and numb, and I wondered if I'd ever be able to stop shivering. Through a glance upwards, the sky had turned strangely gray and cloudy, and Quentin was nowhere in sight. Worry not at me. Where was he? James wouldn't convince him to leave me, right? Suddenly, something next to me emerged from the water with a splash, startling me bad enough that I nearly lost my grip. After a moment of confusion, I realized that it was Quentin. He spluttered and coughed while treading water, and I breathed a sigh of relief. Where did you come from? What do you mean? I was right here. He eyed me anxiously and repeated, Are you okay? I nodded, then stopped. The motion hurt my head too much. I knocked my head pretty hard when I fell, but other than that, I think I'm alright. Do you think you can climb out of here? Maybe we can call someone. What if your head injury is serious and you need a doctor? I can climb. I hesitated and added, Thanks for coming after me, Q. He grinned at me. You remember that time Richie threw my backpack into the dumpster and you jumped in to help me find it? Consider us even. It took a couple of tries and some help from Quentin, but I managed to find a crevice that allowed me to pull myself up and out of the water. From there, it was easy to use the cracks between the stones as handholds and footholds, though my progress remained slow and painful. After I swung my legs over the lip of the well, I sat down with a hard thump, my head still throbbing with pain. Black sludge covered most of my t-shirt and shorts. I wanted nothing more than to be home right now, huddled under my duvet with a mug of hot cocoa on the nightstand. Absorbed in how miserable I felt, it took me a few minutes to realize that our surroundings had changed. 
A thick mist had appeared and turned the woods into a featureless landscape. Everything except for the well was colorless and washed out and seemed as insubstantial as cobwebs. I had heard that symptoms of a concussion could include blurry or doubled vision, but nothing like this. What if my fall down the well had irreparably damaged my eyesight? I looked around wildly and saw James standing a couple of feet away with his back to me. The mist half obscured him from view, but I could tell that he was soaked through with water. It dripped down his blonde hair and his sodden clothes, forming a puddle at his feet, and his skin was wrinkled as if he spent too long in the shower. Weird. I thought James hadn't come down into the well with us. James, you can see that mist too, right? He made no reply. Unease prickled down my spine. It wasn't like him to stay silent. If anything, he should have already been making fun of me for falling down the well so spectacularly. Right as I reached out to touch James' shoulder, he rolled around. And the question that I had meant to ask died in my throat. He was smiling at me, an unnaturally wide smile that peeled his lips back from his teeth. That was the first thing that I noticed. The second was that James held a butcher knife in his right hand. I had no idea where he found it, but the blade seemed incredibly old. It was rusted and pitted from time. Small bits of blood dripped down it and over its handle, his blood. He carved out ribbons of meat from his body, plunging the knife into himself deeply enough that I could see glistening bone in some places. James started to advance on me, still smiling. Terror warred with revulsion and sent my pulse racing. I knew that I had to run before he reached me, but my legs weren't corroborating. All I managed was one stumbling step backwards. I couldn't tear my gaze away from the blood-stained knife. What the fuck is happening to him? I flinched half expecting to see James somehow transported behind me. But it was Quentin, his face white and set as he stared at James. He looked deeply unnerved. And where did he get that knife from? Jesus, we need to take him to the hospital right away. I don't know. I found him like this. James let out a sudden scream and doubled over clawing at himself. Blood-soaked hands erupted from his stomach, sending viscera flying through the air. A shoulder emerged from his body, then a head and a knee. A tall woman stepped out of James' body as though it had simply been an ill-fitting suit she no longer needed. She left behind a wreckage of flesh and bone that no longer even remotely resembled a human body. She had silver coins for eyes 
and her dark hair floated around her as if she was underwater. When she contorted her face into a snarl, the coin squelched wetly in her eye sockets and black water gushed out of her mouth, along with a torrent of squirming white bugs and dead leaves. She knelt down and picked up the butcher knife. Run! I yelled. We have to run! We bolted. Quentin pulled ahead of me, and the mist swallowed him from view instantly. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I soon became disoriented. I knew I was moving forward, but the mist made everything around me look exactly the same. There were no landmarks, no way for me to guide myself in the right direction. For all I knew, I was running in circles. But something knocked me off my feet. I fell hard, barely managing to avoid smashing my head into the ground and I twisted around to see her behind me. I tried to scramble back up to my feet and run, but she moved pretty quickly. No matter how hard I struggled, I couldn't break her grip. She held me down with terrible strength, using only one hand. For a moment, she simply studied me. Her silver coin eyes shining with some incomprehensible emotion. Loathing? Triumph? A charnel house smell emanated from her skin. The smell of blood, rot, and feces. Her throat made a rattling sound. She might have been trying to speak, but if so, I couldn't understand her. The knife she held rose into the air. I searched desperately for something to defend myself with, but my grasping hands meant nothing besides dirt. There was no weapon conveniently nearby, and no way for me to wrest a knife from her. So instead, I did the only thing I could think of. I reached out and ripped off the silver coin that served as her right eye. It tumbled away, along with a handful of mushy, rotting flesh that felt like wet sand. She opened her mouth in a silent scream of rage and agony and brought the knife down. At first, I thought that she'd missed. All I felt was the pressure of her arm striking me, nothing else. 
But then, heat began to spread through my stomach as I looked down to see the knife protruding from it. That was when the pain hit. Pain unlike anything I'd ever known. Dizziness overwhelmed me, and purple dots danced before my eyes. She yanked the knife back out, and blood, my blood, sprayed over her face. From a great distance, I heard Quentin shout, Get off of her! I must have blacked out, because the next thing that I could remember was Quentin dragging me forward, one arm thrown around me. He staggered under my weight, nearly sending us both sprawling. I couldn't see the woman anywhere in this mist, but I knew she had to be nearby. As I glanced around us, I thought I saw screaming faces in the mist, children's faces. They formed, vanished, then reformed again. Quentin asked, What do we do? There's nowhere to go. I tried running away as fast as I could, and we just ended up back here again. All she has to do is just wait for us to tire out. An idea occurred to me, catalyzed by the fact that everything else in this world was gray and dead. I think the well is the key to leaving. After we reached the bottom and came back up, that's when we found ourselves here, right? If we go down it again, maybe we'll get home. I forced myself to continue, to say, you should leave me behind. Quentin stared at me. What are you talking about? I'm slowing you down. You can make it if you hurry and leave me behind. She'll be, you know, distracted. Quentin hesitated, the struggle written on his face. He knew I was right. If he had to keep carrying me, she'd probably catch up with us before we reached the well. And I'd already been stabbed. I might not be a doctor, but I was pretty sure that if I didn't get medical attention soon, I'd bleed out and die anyway. I thought I could hear eager, squelching footsteps drawing closer to us and reminded myself that Quentin was simply making the most logical decision. Abruptly, he said, You're the only one, besides James, who's ever treated me like I'm human. He shrugged, looking both defiant and embarrassed. You're my best friend. I'm not leaving you behind. I swallowed past a lump in my throat, unable to think of a reply that wouldn't sound cheesy or ridiculous. I took another couple of staggering steps forward in the direction Quentin said he remembered the well-being. Gradually, we caught sight of a blurry and indistinct blob. As we neared it, it resolved into a familiar shape. Unlike everything else here, the well looked solid and real. I fixed my eyes on it, willing it to magically move closer, and fought to put one foot in front of the other. The pain in my stomach sharpened with each passing second. 
when we finally reached the well, I had to stop and lean against it to remain upright. I could barely breathe. We're going to make it, I told myself. You just have to hang in there and climb down. It occurred to me that it was quiet. Too quiet. My head jerked up and I scanned our surroundings frantically, my heart pounding. A dark silhouette ran towards us. I shoved Quentin towards the well. She's here! Go! I tried to scramble into the well and failed. She emerged from the fog and there was nothing human about her now. The silver coin that was our left eye burned with cold fire, dangling from her face by a string of decayed flesh. She'd grown a double row of needle-sharp teeth, too many to fit inside her mouth. When she snapped them at me, they sent chunks of her lips falling to the ground. I was suddenly sure that I could run forever. I used a fresh surge of adrenaline to heave myself up and into the well and threw myself down. In a matter of seconds, ice-cold water closed over me, threatening to steal the breath from my lungs. I counted until ten and then swam upwards. It took every ounce of strength that I had to keep moving. As soon as my head broke the surface, I knew I'd been right. Warm sunlight filled the well, and there was a cloudless blue sky far above us. Visible through the opening of the well, Quentin had already climbed more than halfway up. He paused, waiting for me. I grinned at him helplessly, so relieved that I couldn't speak. We made it back, I thought. We're back and we- She's coming after us! Quentin's words momentarily froze me in place. Frustration and fear swept over me. I'd never considered the possibility that she might be able to follow us from the world under the well. I climbed up as quickly as I could, which wasn't that quickly. When I chanced to glance downwards, I saw her peering up at us, her face twisted in hatred. She started clambering up the walls of the well, impossibly fast, moving in a sideways scuttle reminiscent of a spider. Her limbs twisted and contorted unnaturally around her while her head remained perfectly still. She was catching up to me. Watch out! I glanced down in time to see her reaching out to me with one bone-white hand. Layers of skin slawed off of it and floated through the air. Her fingernails were black with rot, some of them already loose and peeling away. I managed to duck away from her grasp, but nearly lost my balance. My fingertips brushing the stone as I pinwheeled my arms. I couldn't keep dodging her, not without falling back down to the bottom of the well, and I couldn't climb up quickly enough to escape either. Time slowed down, 
seconds stretched into minutes as she reached out for me again. I had a jumbled mess of fleeting impressions, various moments from my life flashing before my eyes. I wanted to say something brave, something that would leave Quentin with one last good memory of me, but nothing came to mind except for, I don't want to die. I looked up, and he was still too far away to help me, nearly at the top of the well. He stared at me with an uncertain expression on his face and took a deep breath. He said, I'm not leaving you behind. And then he threw himself at her and dragged her down the well. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.